It is on a utopian sort of look at it. The metaverse is a place of dreams, right? And it's a place of all possibilities and all potential being unlocked in the human imagination. Like that's how I sort of look at it in the kind of grand scheme of utopia. But there's so much that kind of gets down when you start breaking it into its functionality. You're listening to Retail Remix, your inside access to candid conversations with the people shaping retail's future. Here's your host, Alicia Esposito. All right, everyone, we have a doozy of an episode for you today because there has been a lot of hype about the metaverse, about Web3, NFTs, all the other technologies that fall under the metaverse umbrella, so to speak. So I wanted to bring someone on the show who lives it, who breathes it, who loves it, but is also highly critical of it in in the best possible way. And that gentleman that we have on the show today is B. Earl. He is what he calls a web 2.5 strategist, and we'll get into what that means in a little bit. He is also a Marvel writer. He is in the film industry. He is a partner at Skyview Way Studios, and he has been doing a lot of really fascinating projects in NFTs and blockchain and so much more. And, you know, what I really love and respect about his work and what he has to say is that he always looks at this space through two different lenses. Obviously, as a storyteller and a creator, he is very passionate about the opportunities that come with the metaverse. But he also understands that like any other technology innovation, there are risks, there are dark corners, and there are some really big considerations, really big questions that need to be answered before we act and move forward. So again, because there have been so many studies, predictions around what impact the metaverse will have on the world and specifically retail, we wanted to peel back the onion a bit, so to speak, and get into the opportunities, the considerations, and of course, some of the best practices that B. Earl, I know him as Ben, um, would call out for all of you, whether you're in marketing, commerce, digital. He has a really powerful background, I think, that will help highlight the opportunities and the best practices that you should know. So with that, this is a big episode. It's almost an hour long, but there is a lot to unpack. So I hope you enjoy it. Ben, my friend, welcome to the show. We are finally doing this. How are you? I am great. It is a little hot here in Los Angeles, but other than that, kicking it, loving it, doing it. Awesome. So before we started this recording, we were just talking about all of the things you are doing now. You are making the the rounds, educating the masses about what's happening in the world of the metaverse, NFTs, everything we're going to be getting into today. But for the folks listening who don't know you, why don't you give them a little bit of a glimpse into the work that you do? Yeah. So my background is kind of overall storyteller. I mean, and a lot of people say that I have been doing it since I was a young lad and started in film. That was one of my early passions. But, you know, I really have always just loved the the art of storytelling. And I loved comic books ever since I was 11 years old. 
had always dreamed of writing Marvel comics. And now uh, with my creative partner, Taboo, we are, are writing Marvel comics, which is that dream come true. The 11-year-old kid in me is going, wow, here I am writing words in Spider-Man's mouth. So that's cool and fun. But, you know, technology has always been a big part of my life. I mean, ever since I was little, my dad is a computer scientist and worked in tech. And, you know, that's kind of was my entree into a lot of things. So I started out doing video production when I was young and got into documentaries and then ultimately into television and film and then sort of kept building out because I was like, everything has an opportunity to tell a story. It's just different tools to tell those stories, whether it's a comic book, whether it's an animation, a feature film, a television show, a documentary, whatever. Uh, at the end of the day, we're just telling stories. So that's always been my passion. And currently, I have a creative company with uh, Taboo from Black Eyed Peas. He and I met on a project called Masters of the Sun that was a graphic novel transmedia project, VR, AR, the whole nine. And we hit it off and we're like, yo, man, let's let's go out and tell some cool stories, especially stories for folks that are, are not getting that look. So a lot of what we do with uh, Skyview Way Studios, our company, is telling stories in the Native American indigenous spaces because Taboo is Native and, uh, and Mexican American. So, you know, that's a big part of our engine. We call it mythology through music because obviously his background being music, mine being mythology. That's what we're doing on the creative side. And then back to the love of technology. You know, I've been in this blockchain NFT space since 2017, off and on, and really got into the weeds of it recently in the past like year and a half or so, having launched a, a PFP animation project, also being a digital guru for brands, working with companies like Sideshow, which is a, a high-end collectible company. And a lot of it all fits into my space of fandom and uh, comics and all that fun stuff. So that's kind of the long, longer, ver there's a lot of different facets to it all, but I just kind of giving the overview, that's, that's the overview. And I, th I think one of the things that we really bonded over, Ben, is just that, just how important storytelling is. I feel like when marketers talk about it, or even brands talk about storytelling, it just has a very surface level, I guess, perspective of it. And, and what I find really exciting about the work that you do and, and just how you think about every project. It, it always ties to something deeper. It ties to that notion of like, how are we connecting with the individual, you know, at the other end of the experience? So is that kind of how you saw the opportunity or the excitement around Web 3 or, or Web 2.5? I mean, I guess I'm trying to look for like the connecting points or the intersections that kind of inspired you to get into this space? Well, you know, I've always loved the idea of access for folks that don't have access, right? Like, I think one of my issues always with Hollywood is that it's like, it feels like it's this, this walled garden. But once you get into the walled garden, it's really very small. And it's kind of, in some ways, very um, insular and incestuous, <laughs> for lack of a better word. And where ideas are oftentimes not really as fresh as you like them to be because they kind of go through a, a rinse repeat cycle and a lot of watering down. And, you know, I've always been about like, how do we tell like really cool stories that connect to people on a global scale, on a world scale? And I think that goes back to the mythology side, you know, to the creation story sides, to things that really connect to us, you know, as humans without getting too deep into the spirituality side of it. But, you know, we all as humans are looking for some sort of purpose to our lives, whether it's being a parent 
parent, you know, in a family, having that career or whatever that might be. And when I really started to see this was actually in 2011, we did a Kickstarter for uh, an animated series that I, I produced along with uh, the Titmouse folks, Titmouse Animation. Uh, I was working with a company called Zenoscope, and we did this animated series pilot that we raised our funding through Kickstarter. And it was in the very beginning of Kickstarter, it was 2011, I think Kickstarter had just begun as a platform. And it was really exciting because what we saw was here's a direct connection to our fans. Here's a way to speak directly to the fans, see what they like, see what they're into, you know, and bring that audience in and make them feel like they're a part of it. And so we actually, you know, in the cartoon, we had a tier where for a certain amount of money, you could then be a voice in the cartoon and you could either record it at your a local studio or home or you could come here, fly to LA, and we would, you know, help facilitate certain things. And we, you could record it actually at the animation studio. And that for me was really exciting because here's an opportunity for someone who, you know, is working that day-to-day -day job, never has had an opportunity to be in a cartoon or be involved with one. But now all of a sudden it's like you can become a part of that. You get to be in that cartoon and see how it's made. So that was really the very first time seeing that, you know, kind of direct to consumer slash audience, you know, like without thinking of it as a product, but looking at it as a story, like here you are in your life and you get to join us on this creative journey. And, you know, we get to make this together. And now recently having done that and, and doing that with our project, the Chihuahuas, which is a, a PFP project we launched about a year ago. And it's so exciting because, you know, we're making it out in the open. We're kind of doing it naked, you know, like we're professionals. We know what we're doing, but at the same time, we also love to have the input of the creative, you know, people that are in the community and, and the audience. And, you know, one of my frustrations often with Hollywood is so much about this development period. And when you develop a project, you're developing it like really behind closed doors and you're doing it with a team of people that are looking at what the market right now is, as opposed to what the market could be. And you're doing it kind of blindly. And ultimately you hit a point and then it's like, okay, it could get passed on. Well, who knows if you had built it out in the, in the open to a certain degree or in a gated way, which, you know, the sort of web 2.5 allows us to do, then you can really build a, an excellent community that can help grow that story and that world. And ultimately that product, if we're talking about it from a retail point of view, because all product is, is just connective tissue to a transmedia sort of element of things, you know, a cartoon, a toy, a this, a that, it's all just kind of out put that comes from that engine in the middle. Awesome. So quick question, just based on your last responses, we have a few newbies listening. Um, what is a PFP? Just to clarify. Got it. So PFP is what's a profile picture. It's kind of like where people like look at like bored apes or moonbirds. So many of these PFP projects are just hollow bodies. They launched a bunch of stuff. You know, they have these characters that you get that are 721. This ERC721 is a unique NFT, right? So you now own that unique profile picture. You can put it up, but what does it connect to? I mean, I look at the bored apes and I'm like, they have no centralized lore. There's no real meaning behind it other than the celebrities attached to it 
And that's what they were able to draw people in because it became this FOMO thing of like, oh my gosh, celebrities own it. I must own it because it has to have value. And it's just, to me, it feels like it's unsustainable. Whereas we look at it and we say, we're going to build a world. We're going to build stories. We're going to build meaning to these characters. So your profile picture, you get to help define who that character is. We then bring it into the world and we develop it out together. And now you have a character that lives and breathes in this crazy chihuahua world, for instance. Okay, got it. Super helpful. And then the mention of Web 2.5. I feel like everybody's talking about Web 3. So what is the difference? And it seems like we're in Web 2.5 now, or, or that's where a lot of projects are currently. Yeah, I mean, look, Web3 is a dream, right? The Web3 idea is like, and I, I I wrote this like Venture Beat article basically saying, you know, Web3 is a myth and that's okay because, you know, the reality is that we are hoping for this decentralized system, right? Where digital ownership is a reality, where we all own our digital profiles, our digital ontologies is what I like to call it. You know, who we are digitally. Right now, we don't. Right now, Facebook owns it, you know, or Twitter owns it. We're just contributing to a platform. Our profile on YouTube is owned by YouTube. They could shut you down at any point, right? So at the end of the day, you are kind of at the mercy of whatever platform you want to put out your content, you want to put out your stories, you want to put out whatever it is. So a Web3 world would be like you own it. Your wallet is that connective tissue. The blockchain is what verifies it. So like a decentralized system of computers are what are doing the sort of called fact checking. Um, and that's how the blockchain works. It's just basically a transparent accounting system. You know, it's nothing. I mean, there's, there's a lot more to it than that. But at the end of the day, like smart contracts and things like that are like, ultimately connecting to decentralized computing and, you know, ultimately down the road, like there's cloud computing, all those things. Blockchain gives those opportunities of potentially owning your stuff. So when I talk about Web 2.5, and I've been saying this for a, for a while because people are all oh, Web 3, Web 3, Web 3. And it's like, well, Web 2.5 is using blockchain and your digital uh, profile slash wallet, like your ontology, your con collective NFTs and all the stuff, all the different cryptocurrencies and things like that, blockchains that you're supporting or communities you're part of. And then you're connecting into some sort of interface, right? So it's still like a web site, but you can create a web three sort of hook that allows you to connect your wallet in. And then you're able to purchase things from that retailer or that space through a kind of blockchain protocol. So when a retailer or anyone that is looking to get into this sort of web three idea space, what you want to be doing is connecting in your audience through their wallets and through, you know, those blockchains that you're looking to support, selling those digital collectibles, selling those digital keys, for instance, experiences. And we can get a little more into like specifics because I'm working on some projects right now that, you know, kind of balance between those two worlds of ownership and, and also gating. But I think that's really what a web 2.5 experience is. It's it's allowing you to sort of maintain all of the infrastructure you have from your, your website, what you already have built, 
but it's giving you a new layer that is scalable. And that scalable layer is connecting in your wallets, whether it's a MetaMask that bridges you through a lot of the Ethereum, different layer twos and Ethereum smart contracts, or something like a Phantom wallet, which is on the Solana blockchain and allows you to bring in that. You know, And now there's a lot of different folks that are looking to build multi-chain wallets out there. There's a company called OneArt that I spoke to. There's a new company that's uh, starting up I was speaking to the other day. Because people really want to have a frictionless experience. And a lot of people that are wanting to get into this space don't know the first thing. Where do they begin? And, you know, companies like Nifty is the marketplace. Nifty's has ways where you can basically buy an NFT just using your email address and they'll hold custody of your wallet. So there's like custodial and non-custodial wallets where you then can own the wallet yourself and have full control with all of your multi-passwords <laughs> and all that fun stuff. Or you can give custody over to more of a centralized system, which is what Nifty's does, for instance, with their Wallet Connect or collectible companies like Mighty Jacks, who when you buy that collectible, you scan that collectible with their NFC chip, and then you get a digital collectible that is an NFT, lives on the Polygon chain, but is custodied by Mighty Jacks themselves. So those are like Web 2.5 sort of examples and solutions that I like to point to. No, that's great. Re really good examples. And I'm glad you kind of brought up the fact that Web3 in general is just getting a lot of buzz, as well as just the metaverse in general, NFTs. But I, I feel like anytime there's a super buzzy topic or something that people say is going to, going to generate X amount in revenue potential, which, you know, is really exciting and cool, but we, we have to get to the heart of like what this really entails, right? So, I mean, retailers, we've seen a good number of brands and retailers try to like hop on the bandwagon, so to speak, and do different projects, do different approaches. I think what really stands out about what you just shared is like that that component of like ownership and participation. But there are other things too, like, Roblox games. And, and so I guess first, before I ask you how you think retail is doing as a whole, can you kind of break down all these different elements and how they kind of fit into this big ecosystem? I'm always curious, like how people break this space down and, and define all of the different elements within it. Well, let's start with like definitions, right? Like metaverse is a word that came up in a book written by Neil Stevenson, right? It was like this idea in Snow Crash. And ultimately, it's been a dream of people that love, you know, cyberpunk, science fiction, this place where we all can go and you can be whatever you want to be. I mean, it sounds very much like Disneyland, right? Like this world that, you know, <laughs> like your dreams can become reality. Anything you want, you can fly. And it is on a utopian sort of look at it, the metaverse is a place of dreams, right? And it's a place of all possibilities and all potential being unlocked in the human imagination. Like that's how I sort of look at it in a kind of grand scheme of utopia. But there's so much that kind of gets down when you start breaking it into its functionality, you know, from hardware to the software to cloud computing to is blockchain going to be a major component of it? How is e-commerce going to shift into that? How are, you know, storytelling and movies and film, is this something that we're going to be spending, you know, half of of our days in, or is this going to be a mixed reality XR experience that combines, you know, what we have as our phones, or are we going towards, you know, glasses, contacts that are going to be 
creating AR overlays. Like, what does that look like? And I think a lot of people have a lot of different visions of what that looks like, right? Like, my hope is, is that we don't completely immerse ourselves in VR worlds because ultimately it's a sad day for humanity when we completely have to just shut our doors <laughs> and become like, you know, that movie Surrogates with Bruce Willis, where all we do is live in a room in a seat and let our surrogates go out and, and live for us. Um, there's a lot of a lot of components to it. I mean, AI is another big part of it. I'm also, you know, I've been experimenting and working with creative AI for the past year. I have a small team doing some really cool, interesting stuff that we're exploring because, you know, I see AI. As, as a way to help, you know, kind of oversee and facilitate certain elements in it without taking away the power and without pulling away all of our creativity. And that's a whole other discussion to get into. But I think first off, everyone talks about the metaverse and it's going to be a trillion dollar industry in the next whatever, 20 years, right? Okay, great. Like, what does that even look like? These are projections based off of a lot of factors that ultimately, as we know, uh, <laughs> you know, chaos can always mess things up. You know, the best laid plans are the easiest to go wrong because, you know, there's so much that can change. There's so much that can shift, whether it's things politically, socially, economically, you know, what does it look like for everyone to have a VR headset? I mean, that's what Meta Facebook wants you to have. They want to sell hardware. They want to become like the next Apple because that's what Apple did, you know, and who is ultimately better benefiting from this? Is it the consumer, the person that is the the one going into this space? Or is it the space itself? Is it platform driven? The dream of Web3 that it's completely decentralized. There is no owner of the metaverse, just like there's no owner of the internet, right? Like we talk about the internet, the internet is all over the place. But if you start getting into the weeds of it, well, who owns all of the data storage? AWS has a pretty big hold of that. So if you look at it, Amazon kind of is one of the owners of the internet, you know, at least here in the States. But then you start going globally and then it's like China's building their own blockchain. They don't want anything to do with what we're doing over here in the West. They won't resell any of our collectibles unless they're on their blockchain. So that's a whole other conversation. So an open metaverse that's global, I don't see that exactly happening unless there's a lot of geopolitical... Uh, you know, conversations that happen and alignments that happen where it makes it both, you know, socially, financially and culturally correct. I mean, obviously the Chinese don't let half the stuff over here into their world. There's no Google over there. There's no YouTube. It's Billy Billy. It's Bike Dance. It's, you know, but over here we've brought in TikTok, which is Chinese. So like, you know, again, do we want to look to share culture and bridge that? That's my dream. Like, I would love to see people not feeling othered and sharing stories with each other in this global economy that lives in a digital kind of simulacrum, you know, the simulation of what we have in our real world. So, I mean... I know that doesn't really answer exactly the question, but there's there's a lot of factors to it. And I think ultimately what we're doing now are the like little bricks that we're building on this much larger road that is amorphous and organically forming as we speak. Like the things that we're doing in these NFT projects 
are little pieces that are going to build the metaverse. I mean, my friend Tony Parisi was saying that, you know, the metaverse is going to be built from the, the, you know, the remains of all the stuff that is happening right now, like those little pieces of NFT projects. So, you know, when it comes to getting into like, for instance, you know, and, and I think this will probably dovetail into what we want to talk about next is like how retail is going to play a part in this and what is happening right now with it. I think the biggest thing is, understanding what do humans want in their lives? What do people care about and how do they connect? And everyone talks about community being this like currency, like the currency of community. And But ultimately community has so many different sides to it. And you can, you know, without, you know, politics and religion, I know we never talk about, you know, in the public forums, unless it's that show, but those are great things to look at. Look at like what happened over the past 10 years here in America when it came to politics and community and storytelling, you know, and I won't get into the weeds of that, but like, you know what I'm talking about, like how these stories started building these sort of fervors and fanaticisms on all sides, really, like it's all over the spectrum. We have gotten to these places where the internet is a place that so much can be shared so quickly and truth and veracity are lacking often in that sharing. And the hope is, is that blockchain being a place of verifications and truths, hopefully it can help build a better way to kind of show what is true and what is false. Yeah, and I, I think to your point, I'm starting to see little glimpses of what makes the metaverse promise real. So like that that equal playing field that you're talking about, that like everyone can kind of express themselves, show up how they want, and everyone is, is, is on this equal playing field. But then it's also through the lens of certain platforms or certain communities like Roblox, like everybody's talking about like on Roblox, you can be whoever you want to be and you can play all of these games, but it's like, okay, but you have to be within that environment or within that space in order to do that. So already it's like you're creating this confined experience. So I think it's really interesting that like, it's a bit of a tug of war that's happening, like where there's this freedom of expression, but only if you do X, Y, Z, or if only it's in this specific platform. So, I mean, how do you kind of, I guess, keep that promise real and actualized, I guess, when, when everything is still so splintered and so fragmented? Well, you know, to your point, like that is what the reality exists right now. There is no metaverse, right? Like all these people, like the metaverse is going to change everything. And then people are like, we just did a thing in the metaverse. And it's like, which metaverse, and I say air quotes, metaverse, you know, is it, did you do it in Roblox? Did you do it in Fortnite? Are, like what is a metaverse? Like, right? Like, a real metaverse means that it is completely open and decentralized to some degree like the internet. But Roblox is a walled garden. Like there could be possibilities of interoperability, but at the end of the day, like you have a character in Roblox, it looks a certain way. That's your avatar. Then you take that avatar and then it would have to be in some sort of a switcher on that blockchain to shift and then pull in a new sort of skin from your locker, let's call it your wallet is your locker, to then go go into uh, Sandbox, which is Voxels, you know, or Fortnite, which is more cartoony, but slightly more realistic. Or, you know, if these other 
companies like Ready Player Me are saying like, we're making these avatars. Cool. Well, where are those avatars going to live? Like, is that going to live in an Unreal Engine generated space? You know, Pixelinks, which is building this music verse, you know, like who is the one that is the custodian of style or is style going to be amorphous and ultimately it's going to be pulled down and we're going to have all these walled gardens that exist, but then we're going to have to agree on some sort of chain or multi-wallet switcher that allows you to jump chains slash wallets. What You know, it's like there's so much when it comes into the like the nitty gritty of it. And I look at it like this, like it's one of those things, if you can build your ecosystem on a chain, right? Like right now I'm working uh, pretty close, like I'm working very closely with Polygon, but not exclusively, but like we're working very closely with Polygon as one of our main sort of connective tissues. And the reason is, is because all the disparate projects, so to speak, the fragmented projects that I'm working on that have opportunity to connect, but they're not connected, I'm building a hub so that I can connect them because of the way the chain can work, like if that makes sense. So like that to me is like a first level of like figuring out how to build, you know, sort of interoperability between things that don't exactly live in the same spaces, right? So that's like an experiment, you know? And if it works, it works. Like if, if you know, I know that Polygon is working with Facebook meta, you know, you can have your Instagram profile pick with a, with a Polygon, you know, avatar NFT. So there's certain chains or layer twos, because Polygon's a layer two on Ethereum, that, you know, allow you to sort of think that way. So I think it all depends on what your vision is, right? So it's like, if you're a, company and you're saying like, okay, well, where do we want to live? Like, how do we want to build this? Okay. We want to do things in the sandbox because we like what is happening there. Okay, cool. Well, that's, that's a polygon that's voxel styles. You know, you want to do activations there. Like start thinking about like, well, what are other polygon projects? What are other things that we could do collaborations with? I think collaborations is going to be a big thing going forward when you start looking at like, you know, lining vision and value set alignments between brands and between communities. And I think that's really going to be how a lot of these connect. And I think those value sets potentially will also align with whatever chain or whatever layer two or whatever they're those companies are working on. But I think a lot of it is like coming up with what is the vision? What's the pencil and paper? Start doing those experiments. Great. You want to do it in Roblox? Cool. Roblox is not really a metaverse, but it is a metaverse, right? Like Fortnite is a metaverse because why? You can buy all the, it's got all these different licenses. You could be Darth Vader with Dr. Doom's chair in, a, in, a, in an animation. Like it starts bridging, like it's hip hop. Honestly, it's crazy. It's hip hop. Like hip hop is sampling from all different styles and cult, like the real hip hop, not, you know, <laughs> the definition <laughs> of hip hop is sampling from styles and cultures and creating something new right? Like that as an art form is what we're seeing in a lot of this, where your imagination is really your limits. And I think right now there's a lot of limited imagination happening and people not looking at what the real scopes can be. And that's okay. Like as long as people are testing things out and seeing how it works, then I think, you know, it gets people comfortable dipping their toes in. I want to get to that point around, you know, the no limits point. But first, 
it seems like, you know, because usually in these conversations for the pod, I, I like to kind of distill some strategic takeaways, you know, things that our listeners need to keep in mind. It seems like, and, and tell me if I'm putting words in your mouth, that as far as like figuring out where to go or what to test, there needs to be some sort of strategic alignment or focus because otherwise you're just trying to pigeonhole your brand and ultimately your consumers into something that may not make sense for what you're trying to do as a brand. So can you kind of like expand upon like those parameters or or things that folks need to keep in mind before they even dive into any of this? Absolutely. I mean, I think going back to like value sets, like what does your brand represent? Like, right. What is it that you want to get out with your story, going back to storytelling and what is your audience find meaningful in that storytelling and then looking at like, okay, where are the places, where are the communities that align with that? There's a new company called Metastitch that is early phases where you can start discovering different communities through Discord. So you can look at marketing towards those communities by what people are holding in their wallets, like what collections they're interested in. Are they interested in the Nike artifact collection? Okay, cool. Well, if you're looking to go to that sort of consumer base, you can start exploring folks that are into those sort of Venn diagram of different things. So there are tools that are being built right now, you know, that allow you to not fly as blindly. And those are folks that I'm talking to, that I'm working closely with and saying, how can we kick the tires on this when we're doing our strategies, right? And I think strategy is such a big part of this because you really got to know like, okay, where do we want to go? Because it really is crawl, walk, run. And I think Anyone that's trying to like climb Mount Everest before even understanding, you know, the difference between an 1155 and a 721 and how they could eat, both of them could benefit versus one maybe being the right strategy to start with. There's a lot there and you don't have to be super smart on the technical side, but you have to know what that technical side can do for you and how you can kick the tires for what your brand wants to do in order to have a scalable strategy that allows you to do that walk, crawl, you know, a crawl, walk, run, excuse me. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you could walk and then you might want to crawl a little bit. And yeah, then, exactly. Then you maybe, might need a little breather, you know, right? <laughs> yeah. Maybe. I mean, you know, you never know where you want to start. Awesome. So you've been very transparent and thoughtful about what the implications are when we have this deep digital immersion. Like, yes, there is opportunity for us to connect to anyone, anywhere. There is an opportunity to express our true selves and show up, you know, in more creative ways, you know, without that, those creative limits, you know, that we talked about earlier. But I mean, I feel like we would be remiss if we didn't speak about the possible risks or, I guess, challenges, especially for younger people because they are so immersed in digital. I mean, can you share your thoughts on, you know, how we as folks in the industry can kind of navigate that? things that we need to be on the lookout for. I mean, we don't have enough time to go in like the deep rabbit hole know, of like right? a, existential crisis, but I mean, what, right. what are your thoughts there? Well, I think from a very top level, there's a lot of pitfalls that 
we stand to experience. And we're definitely going to make mistakes going forward. And I think, you know, unfortunately, a lot of times people aren't doing the crawl, walk, run and trying to run first and not thinking about ethical implications. We're going to see more problems than not in that sort of space. I think that identity is a huge thing, right? Like we have seen so much about identity, whether it's pronoun usage and this and that, you know, popping up, you know, when you're Zoom and you have, you know, opportunities to put pronouns and same with LinkedIn and all these places where people are really looking to express their identity. But then on the flip side of that, you have people that want to come in and just be trolls and want to, you know, destroy and cut down and break down and hurt people and whatever it might be, you know, and there's a lot of that. I mean, obviously it exists in every facet of social media and you can only moderate so much. I mean, my girlfriend, who's a musician and performer, got an inappropriate picture sent on Instagram from, you know, one of people that follows her. And it's just like, it's horrible to see those sort of things happening on, I'm sure it's on a daily basis. How do you know that that's not happening to kids that have Instagram accounts or things like that? And then, you know, you bring that into a metaverse, into a 3D spatial place that all of a sudden, you know, people are are now feeling maybe that much more uh, brazen to go up and, and say things because they're hiding behind a digital avatar. I think there's a lot to be taken from what's already been created in the gaming space. Like, Places like World of Warcraft, these large MMO sort of experiences and how they've built their moderation and how they've dealt with these sorts of things. I think that like a lot of the groundwork has been laid in a lot of the gaming space. And I think that's why everyone's going, oh, the metaverse, it's all gaming, it's all gaming. And it's like, well, no, it's not, you know, and you can't just like all of a sudden just slam gaming into becoming a metaverse. You can't just take, you know, metaverse and turn it into a game. It's like, these are, there's still a lot of stuff that needs to be figured out. But I think when it comes to it, it's really about like, how do we create like experiences for people that are representative of who they are and allow them to be creative and allow them to feel safe in these spaces, but at the same time, not isolating people and creating echo chambers where there's just so much moderation that, you know, you all of a sudden, you know, it's like your child never coming out and experiencing the real world and living in a bubble. And then all of a sudden one day they grow up and they walk outside and they're like, wait, what? This is the real world? Like, what was that fantasy that you, you know, it's like, so it's a really slippery slope and it's a very fine line that has to be walked when it comes to creating experiences. And I think brands have to look at it in this way of like, people trust brands. Trust is going to be the biggest thing, right? And when we trust someone, when we trust a person, when we trust a company, when we trust a platform, you know, we want to have faith in that. And, you know, in some ways it strangely connects even back to like this religious idea of things. And there's a lot of symbolism connected to all this. And it's really about how do we as humans connect to each other, express who we are without feeling like we're going to be attacked or hurt or whatever it is for coming into these places. And, you know, kids being a big part of that, like Roblox, there is a lot of moderation, but even so, like, you know, my son will be like, oh, these kids were like jerks and they were bullying me. And, uh, and I, I went into a Fortnite group and, uh, you know, and, and even I was, you know, it's funny. Cause like, I mean, I'm a gamer myself and like, you know, I stopped playing like online in groups cause it's just, I don't know, unless you're playing with a close crew of your friends and you guys are all, uh, you know, or guys and gals, you know, we're all like doing your thing. I don't know. I mean, those are the things like one of the questions to me really is, is like, 
are we going to build this like really large open space or is it going to be gated? Are you going to have these kind of access tokens that will be connecting communities that you go and say, this is my group of friends that we're all into comic books. And hey, if you're into comic books, you can come out here and hang out with us. It's a safe place to hang out. I do that in real life here in LA. Like I have a group that gets together and, you know, it's people that are professionals in the industry coming and hanging out and talking about their, their fandoms. Maybe that's what we're going to end up seeing in digital spaces. There's going to be even more fragmentation, but fragmentation around our fandoms and our loves. But then there's going to be a sort of rhizome, all these connective tissues that you'll be able to portal between them. And ultimately, much like Reddit, sort of three-dimensionally find your way into the spaces that really fit who you are and connect to your identity. That might be the way we go. I don't know. I mean, it's wide open, so... Right. And it seems like the opportunities are boundless, so to speak, which which seems to be a good takeaway for me. It's like I see all of this, you know, analysis in the market of like, what role do these platforms play in the future of shopping experiences? And like I see brands try to just like replicate their stores in like a new platform. I'm like, I feel like there has to be something more than that. <laughs> oh, I mean a hundred percent. I think this is to me like that's like the worst version of what brands are doing. And like anytime a brand is like, Oh yeah, here's our store or here's a shopping experience, I'm like, whoa, 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 that's a bad version. Like that's like the uh, <laughs> it's the most mundane way to unimaginatively create something. If you have the powers of your imagination to ultimately build creative opportunities, really like transmedia storytelling, right? Like if you were to buy something and that then unlocks something else and connect you to this and there's a story behind it, that's why storytellers that understand multimedia and understand like how these nodes can all connect and how each format is able to give you a different experience of storytelling that's where the future is. It's understanding what is a passive story like a film or television look like? What does a slightly immersive, like a choose your own adventure sort of bandersnatch version, you know, like that was that show on, on Netflix from Black Mirror, right? What does a video game version of it where you really are very sort of autonomous, but there are walls and you're doing missions and whatever, like, what does that look like? What are those different versions look like? You know, what does the comic book version look like? It, does it look like, you know, a physical printed thing in your hand? Is it something that you're reading in your Oculus? I mean, we did that with a VR comic for Masters of the Sun. Personally, I thought it was a really great first attempt at it, but I think there was a lot more that needs to be pushed. And I, they are doing some interesting things. And we were one of the very first. You know, now there's some interesting VR comics in the Oculus that you can check out that are doing some cool stuff. So those people that get out there first push those limits and then inspire other people to say, hey, that's cool. Let me take that idea and hip hop it and mash it up with this idea. And that's where it gets really interesting. And I think that's where collaborations are really, and I keep going back to that. I think we're going to see a lot of really cool collaborations happening as they are now in very small little pockets, but more and more where you're going to take graffiti artists and marry them with game builders. And it's something I'm, you know, I had a really cool conversation with the folks over at Secret walls that are doing this in real life. They're having these art 
battles between folks that are doing like pixel driven NFT creations in real life versus someone who's doing a graffiti artwork and the audience is like voting on it and they're doing it like, you know, in front of a live audience. And I'm like, that's cool. Like that's the neat stuff, you know? So I think the more that we can start looking into that and pulling away from, oh, walk into our 3D digital store, pick up a 3D digital item. That's boring to me. All right. So, I mean, as far as (laughs) distilling this down into the takeaways and and things to remember, I think we have a few really good ones right there. But is there anything else? Like just because you come from a very, I think, distinct viewpoint, like you are a storyteller, you are a writer, you are in film. So like, I, I feel like there's a lot that retailers or brands, you know, people that are trying to quote unquote sell something, there's a lot that they can learn from like the media industry or the entertainment industry. So is there anything else that we haven't touched on yet that you would kind of give to people as a walkaway point or key things to remember? Because I feel like there's so many layers to this that we could probably talk for like another four hours. But I mean, I guess to get people started, like to get them thinking about this. So one of the things I think about, right, when we write stories, when I'm writing a story, it's the question of, do you start with world, do you start with plot, or you start with character? right? Like, and that's kind of like really big than going into something a little bit more medium and then going very granular with the character, right? And character is such a part of like who we are. We empathize or sympathize with these characters that we watch on television. We play the video game and we feel like we're that character. And, you know, what's been interesting and looking at it from, you know, again, I am recently now embedded and brought into this world of retail and product. And, you know, but looking at it through my lens, I feel like the past, let's just call it 100 years of advertising, have been very much about world and plot, right? Like world being like, this is the brand and this is sort of like what it connects to you in your world. And then plot kind of diving into becoming a little more specific, right? Like I like Dot's pretzels as a good example. It's like, oh, look, Dot made her pretzel recipe and blah, blah, blah time. And you get this little story on the back of your pretzel bag and you go, oh, I feel a little bit more connected to this, right? And it makes you feel a little more like a feeling, right? That's that feeling. And I think advertisers always want to evoke feeling. And I think what's going to happen is that people now, as we go into a 3D space, we're going to be going into character. It's something we've never looked at or explored before when it comes to like advertising, so to speak. Yes, advertisers create like Tony the Tiger and these characters that connect to kids or, you know, Mr. Clean or Spuds McKenzie back in the day. But the question then becomes, well, how do you engage these characters? Because the goal of a metaverse and just like the internet is it's persistent. It exists over and on and on. You turn off your computer, it's still happening. Unlike you turn off your television, it's that show is paused in the middle if you're watching it on Netflix or you can go back and watch that, that show again. It, it exists in a kind of snapshot, right? Time is frozen because that asset has been built and it's deliverable. In this way, these assets are living, breathing and are going to exist however they exist. And AI now is being, you know, there's companies that are doing NPC AIs, you know, so when you go in, you're going to be able to engage and whatever. And I think if brands and advertisers, the big thing for me is 
I don't like being sold to. I don't like feeling like in my Instagram feed, you know, I'm being sold to, but I do like when it's a feeling of discovery. And I like that feeling of like, oh, cool. Like that is something I'm interested in, you know? And, you know, it's like when your best friend tells you, hey, this is really cool. You should try this new game out or you should, you know, blah, 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 whatever. I hate saying this, but the people that market to you best are the people that you're closest to. And it sounds like, you know, kind of like... (laughs) That sort of, you know, your neighborhood dealer, whatever, like, oh, yeah, whatever. But like, you know, but, but without getting too like kind of weird about it, but like, I think, you know, brands would be smart to look at like, what is their value set and how do you apply that to a character? Like much like when you create a role-playing game character, right? Like Dungeons and Dragons, Cyberpunk, Pathfinder, whatever you name it, you always begin by building your character. What are the attributes your character has? Are they very strong? Are they smart? Are they charismatic? What's their dexterity? Can they roll away from a a short sword being stabbed at them? Like, what are those things that make that character, right? On the physical side, then you start getting into the backstory. Well, why is that character, you know, have a chip on their shoulder and every time they come into a, a tavern and there's a bard playing music, they hate the music and they run out screaming, you know, like, why? And it's like, well, there was an event when they were young. Like, you start building these threads into it. And I think, you know, it's like we're starting to build three-dimensionality in every way, shape, and form. It's not just going to be visual, fa- spatial, uh, visual, right? Uh, spatial, visual, spatial, whatever. But, you know, here's a – I don't know if you know this from the audio industry. There is a massive push towards spatial audio. I know a few of the folks, one of my good friends has, you know, one of the few spatial studios here. Apple is pushing it super hard with their headphones. Spatial audio is going to be huge and it's happening right now. Everything is going to be mixed towards that because when you go into a space, you are going to be able to hear all of the different elements all over. Okay, great. We've got now visual spatial. We've got audio spatial. Well, what's that thing that was missing? And that's storytelling spatial in the sense of like three-dimensionality. You can't just walk in with Mr. Clean, who's got two attributes, and he just goes, oh, Mr. Clean, oh, Mr. Clean. It's like, you know, advertising to you, (laughs) buy my product. It's like, we need to look at like, why? And unfortunately, and this is scary, that this is where AIs are, you're not going to know who's real and who's not, unfortunately. And marketers and folks are going to get really savvy as to like, these folks that are going to come up and they're going to befriend you and you're going to go, who are you? And That gets a little bit scary and it feels like a little invasion of privacy, but it's a reality. And I think we need to be cognizant of it. And I think if we're going to be going down that road, we shouldn't run down that road. We should be very smart about how we build these stories into the characters, products, and worlds so that it is respectful. I think that's really it. And I think that unfortunately, so often everyone runs to make as much money as they can as quickly as possible. And then they look back and go, whoops, how do we fix it? And it's like, well, AI is Pandora's box. And we've already begun to unleash it with, you know, like Mid Journey and Dali and all of these like art driven AI. And I've been working with the GPT-3 and, and working with the Bayesian model right now. It's like, it's powerful. It's scary and it is the future. And if people are not looking at how we can sort of guardrail it, I don't know. <laughs> that's right. all I could say. So that's the to be determined, right? But I Huge think TBD. Yeah, yes. Yeah. I think as long as there are players in this space, whether it's 
on the tech side or on the practitioner or brand and business side, the ones that are actually creating these spaces, as long as people move with intention and purpose, that's the key thing. But I know you have a lot on your plate, but I, I appreciate you taking the time out to chat with me, dig into all of these questions. We actually have like a full list of questions we did not get into know, because there's so much. so much. But that yeah. is going to be put on hold for next time because I feel like folks are going to be getting a lot out of this conversation and may listen and have their own questions too. So we'll be sure to circle back with you and figure out another time to uh, get on the line with you. I appreciate it. And look, I'm always here and always an open book. I mean, because for me, it's like, it's important to have these conversations because as we're talking about it, even me, like I'm thinking about these things in new ways and I'm going, oh yeah, you know, it's like, I don't know because it's TBD. And I think all we can do is just do the best we can and, and really just move with intention, like you said. Yeah. All right. For now, Ben, keep up the awesome work. Can't wait to see what you put together next. Uh, and thank you again so much for taking the time. Excellent. Thank you so much, Alicia. And to all of you, I mean it. If you have any follow-up questions, definitely drop us a line. We are on Twitter at our touchpoints, on LinkedIn at Retail Touchpoints. We'll be sure to tag Ben in, in the post with this episode. So if you do have questions, you can drop them there and he will follow up and share his wisdom with you. And if you like this episode, we'd love to hear your feedback. Go to your preferred podcast player. We are on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, frankly, anywhere else. We are probably there you know, leave us a review. Let us know how we're doing and what we can do better. But for now, that's it from us, folks. We will see you next time. Take care. Thanks for listening to this episode of Retail Remix. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. You can find us on your favorite podcast player. Until next time, keep mixing it up.